Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. Fellow Agilists, welcome to the final episode of season two of the Virtually Agile podcast. Now, today's guest is a fellow Agile enthusiast and active contributor. You are heavily involved in the Agile 20 Reflect Festival, which was held back in February and celebrated 20 years since the Agile Manifesto was created. And I believe you're actually involved in uh, the continuing to shape how that, that new iteration of what is now Access Agile will progress as well. Uh, he is the leader of the future or a leader of the Future of Work Scotland community, a speaker at many an event, meetup and conference, and you've held various agile and engineering roles over a career spanning over 20 years. I am pleased to welcome Sat Singh to the show. Hey Chris, good to be here mate. Good to see you, it's been a while. Good to see you, it has been a while. Now for anyone who isn't familiar with Sat and, and what he's about, Sat would you please tell us a little bit more about, about you? Hey, oh wow! Okay, right. Um, I'll keep it short. Um, I think you covered it brilliantly. To be honest, it's um, it's a twenty-year journey for me over twenty years. Um, as you say, you know, I'm South Passing. Everybody calls me South. Um, and um, yeah, I'm very passionate about technology, engineering. You know, the 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 role that's actually played in society and how that's increased and the ubiquity of it. Um, I marry that with, you know, my passion for, for agile ways of working and, you know, enhancing collaboration. And over the last certainly two, three years, my, my work in the sort of community space, both in Scotland and, and then further afield with, you know, festivals like Agile 20 Reflect. Uh, so I, I often say I sit at the intersection of engineering and agile. Cause that's kind of what I think best summarizes kind of where I, where I operate. Because I, I have a, a very heavily sort of technical background. I did start as a software engineer seems like a long long time ago. <laughs> wonderful thank you for sharing it's interesting because you have a very very technical background uh, i ha- i am the opposite yeah. I-, I look at i look at the code and it looks like the matrix to me it's ones and zeros uh, i've i've always been i guess what i would describe myself as more of a people focused coach and i've never never found it stopped me being successful but at the same time i won't i won't profess ever to tell someone how to code how to develop things i just want to provide an environment that helps them continuously improve. And I think that's where my my, my focus lies. Now, mm. you, you kind of touched a little bit on society a moment ago. And right mm. now we are amidst this, what they're calling the great resignation. Uh, there's a bit of a war between uh, employees and employers over returning to the office. What are you seeing? What are your thoughts on this on this debate? Is there going to be a winner and a loser? What do you think is gonna happen? I hope there won't be losers. Um, you're right, it's a big debate, right? So in fact, we were having it earlier this, this morning in a, in a meeting I was in at work, and I, I think one size doesn't fit all, okay? So, you know, I've stated the obvious there. It sounds a bit cliched, but it doesn't. And I think there needs to be options. and There, there needs to be – organisations need to be working with their staff to – support them in maximizing you know um the way they're going to work together and you know their outcomes and 
if that's best delivered remotely, then so be it. If that's best delivered on premise, and so be it. But I, I can't get away from the you know the hybrid environment. I think there needs to be a bit of both. You know, it's best of both worlds. I mean, I okay. From my standpoint, personally, I'm not in an office at the moment. I think I've been massively productive over the last 16 months. I certainly don't think I would have done a lot of the extra voluntary stuff that I got involved in. You know, take Agile Twin to reflect. We're working on the clock the whole of February. I mean, I hosted like something like 18 events, okay? And I attended, you know, 20 plus others, and I was a speaker at about five. That's about nearly 50 events, right? I couldn't have done that if I was commuting to an office every day. But I would still like to go into an office from time to time where it makes sense to do so um, and see people face to face. And there's certain types of meetings that perhaps lend themselves better to you know, a face to face environment. I think we've shown we can work effectively in a distributed manner. But yeah, I think we need to strike the balance. But you can't get away from the fact that. Lots of organisations have got, you know, office spaces and, you know, they're paying, you know, in some cases, handsomely to have those spaces. So that's kind of where the debate is, right? I mean, I don't know if there's a, an easy answer. I don't know if I answered your question there. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just interested to hear your your thoughts on it. It's a, it's a, a topic that for me that I really enjoy uh, debating about and hearing people's perspectives mm. about because it does it does very much differ. You may be someone um, like myself who, in the past year, I have worked. I've been into the office three times, and two of those times have been in the past month. And in that time frame, I've been well, promoted. Okay. I've 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 been very successful in in what I do. So my my working location has never been a factor. Now it, it probably helps that I build myself as a virtual agile coach, and one of my areas of specialism is is remote facilitation. So it probably helps. Um, but it also, mm-hmm. as you were touching upon, the 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 re- reduction of the commute time has enabled me to do more externally outside of work. So the the kind of community stuff the uh, the events I speak at, the the learning that I've been able to do, on top of just the the day job, the access to people. One one of the things I've I think I've I've loved the most is if you think of uh, let's go back two years. You want to go to a meetup to meet fellow agilists or or learn a new topic. You're limited typically to I'm going to go to Agile Reading or Agile Northampton or whatever it may be, and you go and meet some people face to face, and you might meet ten to twenty people. Now I can join a meetup in Texas or, or recently Princeton at midnight it was for me. And I gave a talk to them and I met some people I would never have been exposed to. And so the, the pandemic, I think, has is, is almost rapidly accelerated our, our global networking. That's been one of the big wins for me. Correct. But then coming back no, to your point, it's, it's not a one size fits, fits all solution. Yeah. It definitely isn't a one size fits all solution. You have some people who you, prefer to work from the office. They're more productive there. No, absolutely. And I think the other thing you touched on there, which I think I can definitely relate to with my work running the, the Future of Work Scotland uh, meetup, is you know that geographical barrier is is gone. And I think we've had only demonstrated that. So you know we've had amazing plethora of speakers over the last you know 16 months in 2020 in that meetup we were running a weekly event series a weekly event series and we hosted over 30 events over 2020 prior to that we were you know booking venues you know they were bi-monthly you, you know you know the usual beating pizzas you know we've moved away from all of that and as you say we're able to tune into events in 
anywhere in the world and sort of tap into other cultures and things. And I think that's fun. Yes, from a neurodiversity perspective, it's it's, it's ramped things up a little mm. bit. I'm now accessing a network of people that I probably wouldn't have come across so readily just by virtue of the fact that we've we've accelerated the the global networking we do which again one of my favorite benefits of the the pandemic unfortunately it's been a been a terrible instance in, in many ways but it has accelerated certain things digital transformations and otherwise and kind of I guess coming back to the the crux of the question around hybrid working and is there going to be a winner and loser and things like that mm. I think the the companies for me that are going to win are the ones that do tailor and offer genuine flexibility rather than it being a one-size-fits-all everyone's in the office or everyone's remote it might be they say hey you work from wherever you're most productive you know if you prefer to come in a few days a week that's okay if you prefer to work exclusively remotely because that fits your situation that's fine too uh, and if you prefer to be in the office full-time we're here for you the companies i think that that tailor it rather than try and standardize and do a kind of blanket situation i think those are the ones that are going to benefit and they'll probably retain their people yeah and i think that's what we're going to see we're going to see you know i think staff retention is going to be challenged by organizations who perhaps are not providing you know the kind of setups that you know are conducive to the way people want to work right uh, and i think you've got it's got to be a, a consultation thing i think you know, organizations mm. speak to the staff Trying to understand what works, what doesn't, where the challenges are, and find something that's going to support. But like I said earlier, I think it's about presenting options and giving options. And that's kind of what I'd be expecting. Sometime in the office, sometime remotely, strike the balance, uh, give people that flexibility. I think that's a win-win situation. Mm. I also think it's interesting how working from home used to be a perk. You know, you'd list it in your your job mm. recruiting profiles, you get to work from home. Nowadays, it's probably more of a, an expectation. You don't need to specifically call out that it's, you know, you're able to work from home. It's probably more of a, an expectation. And actually, the, the companies that go a little bit further to make it a perk, again, I think are the ones that might win out. I'm seeing examples of companies who say, well, we want you in two to three days a week, but six weeks a year, you can work from wherever in the world you like. Um, I'm seeing examples of companies saying, well, we're going to buy these hotels in this far, this foreign country and, and create like a little digital nomad environment. And you can have discounted rates of going in and having like a workcation there. There's lots of companies that are just doing different things when it comes to celebrating uh, the, the hybrid and remote working practices. I'm keen to see how it plays out. Yep. Uh, definitely, definitely. I think there's, now, uh, there's more to come. Absolutely. So remaining, remaining with the, the, I guess, the hybrid and remote working uh, topic here, you just said you've been doing it for 16 months. Are there any particular techniques or any top tips that you have learned uh, that you would share with our listeners with regards to helping teams or organizations be successful, even though they may not be face to face anymore? Oh, wow. OK. Um... I think you're going to be open to trying things. Uh, I think it has been hard to run certain types of events. Uh, you know, you lose the the kind of obvious visual cues, et cetera, right? So even now, there's only two of us on this chat. You've probably been in other meetings where, you know, maybe there's, there's more people on there and you get to a point where there's a robust debate and people are actually sadly kind of talking over one another, right? 
So I think you've got to, at the outset, maybe agree some sort of ground rules, right? Just go, how are we going to facilitate this? How are we going to maximise the output and, and ensure that it's, there's a flowing conversation, right? Because, you know, you'll see both. You'll see situations where it's well facilitated and, you know, everybody's getting heard and everybody gets an opportunity to speak, but you need to kind of create that environment, right? And I think when you're in a virtual environment, you've got to try a little bit harder to do that. To pay attention to it, Very be, be conscious of it, Deliberate, yeah, deliberately go out of your way to actually create that. And I've seen it done well, and naturally I've seen it where it's not perhaps gone so well. You know, more experienced facilitators Gosh. like yourself, you know, you, you know, you've been doing the sort of remote, kind of distributed sort of retros, etc., for a wee while now. And I think we need to be educating a bit more too. So you know, I know you've done a lot of stuff in that space, but educating, you know, sharing tips and helping teams understand where you know the, the pitfalls to avoid. Pitfalls to avoid. Mm. So you know, you know, uh, Jose Gazelle. Uh... You know, Jose Gazelle. Uh, I so, yeah. Yeah. So, so Jose and I did a bit of work way, way back. So you know, he um. He wanted me to do some, so I do a bit of visualization stuff as well. You've probably seen it, and uh, I created a bunch of sort of um, visual sort of cards with him. And this was to kind of, you know, enhance that experience remotely, where you know people can, you know, they're in training courses and you know, can hold up these cards, etc., to kind of, you know, maybe say, you know, they want to take a break or, um, you know, you know, whatever it might be, you know, that they've got a question or, you know, can we move on because, you know. I think that they've you know done that particular debate to death. But rather than speaking and interrupting, they can kind of you know and somebody's going to spot that visual cue and go right okay. You know James there is you know wanting us to stop for a break right. Everybody agree right fine. It's those sorts of little things that help the conversation along and you can imagine as well the amount of effort that's gone into taking the traditional classroom based you know courses that we're, we're kind of used to. So if you think of it, we've moved on our Scrum.org type training. So, you know, I did a PSM years ago, you know, in a classroom environment, but I did a PSK um, in a virtual environment. It's a very different experience. But you want the same kind of output, don't you? So, you've got to try a little bit harder to create that environment where people can still like collaborate and participate and you know, maybe exercises where they're doing things together and do the same thing that they might have done if they were congregated around a whiteboard, you know, in a classroom based environment. Eh? It's not easy, but I, I think we've learned a lot over the last 60 uh, months or so. And we've, as I said earlier, we've proven it to work, but I think we've also found ways to make it even better, perhaps in a way in the past we hadn't mm. really needed to give it as much thought as we do now, given the situation we found ourselves in. Sure. I think for, for me, the... My, my go-to with regards to trying to create these sorts of environments where people understand how to move things forward, how to discuss uh, uh, and, and progress in meetings. This is the technique I would be subscribing to here are things like core protocols, having clear agreed ways that people resolve conflict, you know, how, how they discuss with one another, um, what makes what makes a, a good communication versus bad communication. A team charters are another one, you know, having, having a, a team alignment, we all understand this is how we move forward, this is how we handle meetings. And the, the thing I'm increasingly building in um, to the, the sort of work that I do as well is being someone who's so 
much a fan of retrospectives. Uh, how do I build in a feedback loop into almost every meeting to ensure that that meeting itself is still valuable and could it be better? So you've got a stand up, for example, have a have a quick, you know, for up, or, up or down or a, a fist of five. What is useful? What could be better about it? And just gauge over, over, over the duration of an iteration or a sprint. Is it is it is it pretty mm. valuable? What could you try differently there? Um, I build them into the retros that I do. You know, there's a, a rate the retro concept. Uh, so I'm increasingly looking at how to on a micro basis, continuously verify whether a meeting is still adding value. Because as we know, in the last 16 months, one of the consequences of not being face-to-face -face is more meetings get put in the diary. So how can we maximize the value of those meetings or even always question, is this meeting even adding any value? Should it, should it exist? Because I think so often a meeting is put in for a couple of reasons. One, you want to make everyone feel uh, they're involved. So you just kind of go, oh, I'll just invite you just for awareness, even though that person probably doesn't need to contribute and is probably sat there on a call or, or doing responding to Slack messages or working otherwise yeah. uh, to not to not make people feel left out. I always uh, I always say that if you're not actively contributing to a meeting, you probably don't need to be there. So just decline it and empowering people to decline a meeting because there's a, there's a pressure. If you're invited to a meeting, you feel obliged to attend. Um, you know. It's just some basics like so many meetings get sent out without an agenda right and you just join in this meeting and then that 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 meeting itself doesn't have much of a, a purpose no one knows what it's there they haven't prepared for it there's uh there's lots of challenges there i think yeah, agreed. Agreed. yeah and, and i now, think the agenda was a noble right um but it, it it's become even more sort of pronounced in this sort of virtual virtual sort of environment we're in now so i think i think it's there's a lot of byproducts of this sort of stuff. So you know, we're actually, like I said earlier, we're, we're actually improving a lot of things that probably we ought to have been improving anyway, right? Mm. And, you know, the pandemic, the distributed nature of work has, has kind of forced the issue in some way. So I, I think there's lots of, lots of positives have come out of this situation. Absolutely. Now, you have been increasingly putting yourself out there in this past year. I've seen some content about this. You've been giving more talks, sharing sharing various things, blogs, articles, telling stories. I think you, you wrote something saying and describing it as being a chatterbox, which I, which I thought amused me, which I liked. So how are you finding putting yourself out there more? And what was the kind of what was the genesis of it? What inspired you to take this on? Yeah, great question. Um, so okay, so so yeah, so so you obviously see some an article published recently, um, and I'm doing some collaboration stuff with uh, Johanna Rothman at the moment. I'm doing a writing thing with Johanna, and it's great. And you know, I love catching up with Johanna, and uh, you know, we do a sort of monthly, um, a weekly call on a Monday. Um, so I'm kind of writing more anyway because I've I've wanted to for a while. But to be honest, it, it's really about. I'd been encouraged to do it in the past, and as it said in that very article, I'd kind of, for one reason or another, opted out or perhaps shied away or was reluctant, and I'd, I never got to the bottom of that reluctance. But ultimately, I think a lot of us feel like we don't have something of value like to add or to say, and most of us summer, suffer some sort of level of imposter syndrome, right? So Scott and I did a, did a talk on that, actually. I just wanted to reflect, right? Because... I think by doing these things you kind of are encouraging others and it, it, it might be of inspiration to someone right somebody might look and go 
yes, I can relate to that. That, that resonates with me. And it might, it might encourage someone to do something that ordinarily they might just think, well, you know, that, that's not for me. So, okay, yeah, yeah, I was chatty as a kid. I'm, I'm still quite chatty. I'm, I'm, you know, I like a conversation, but I, it's like what a lot of us have done. You, you kind of play to your strengths, right? So it plays well when you're coaching, you know, you're having those powerful collaborative exploratory conversations. Um, and then, you know, you, you marry that up with, you know, good, deep listening. But ultimately, it's sharing your messages because we are all unique. And we've all got something valuable to contribute and, and, and add. And, but I think a lot of us often feel like we don't, right, for one reason or another. And, and, and that particular article tries to kind of get that out there. It's going, look, you know, you might have shied away from doing that, you know, meetup talk or getting in that conference proposal or, you know, writing that piece and getting it on Medium. But don't, you know. Feel like you can you know give it a go just give it a go and you know what's the worst that can happen you know because i think people feel you know reluctant because they think they're going to get shot down and i think that's a little bit tragic because they're probably going to have something cool to say somebody's going to learn something from what they're what they're saying and i think that's what it's about that that's what i'm trying to say that makes sense you know you, you see where i'm coming from it does indeed. It does indeed. I mean, I, I am only recently, I guess in the past few years, begun doing the same myself. I, I realized I had some things that I felt people could benefit from and just started sharing things. Uh, and my my logic and my mindset about it has always been that if one person gained value from it, one person read it and thought, oh, that resonates or that helps or that's something new I could try, then it, it's been a value for me sharing it. I think there can be a reluctance uh particularly with the social media era we're in where if you share something and i think i think it is unfortunate that the linkedin algorithms are built in a way that someone invests a lot of time writing a nice article they spend a lot of time doing it and it doesn't get as much exposure as someone who shares a picture of a cat for example and it suddenly gets likes and likes and likes and it's, it's so sad to see because you can see the time investment and the care that someone's put into writing that article. And I think that can probably contribute to someone's reluctant to share things. But from my perspective, it's always been, if one person gets value from it, if it challenges one person to think a little bit differently, then to me, it's been worthwhile putting out there. Indeed. And that's exactly what I'm Because we're actually all storytellers. I'm definitely a storyteller. I'm definitely a storyteller. I love to tell stories. Uh, and I, I, I often have to practice, well, I have over the years had to very much practice listening more. This was some, this was a very much a learning thing for me. I remember some of my failings over the years as an agile coach, uh, and I love talking about my failures because I think it's, I love destigmatizing failure. It was always, uh, I would introduce something in a, in a session. Uh, it might be a retrospective, for example. And then you just get silence. And my mind was thinking, oh, silence is bad. I've got to fill that silence with something. Let me speak. Let me speak. Let me try and prompt people by doing something. And uh, I, I've learned to just just pause, just listen a little bit more, spend less time speaking, because it could be people are digesting the information. It might be that they're thinking. And and actually, what I what I like about remote retrospectives at the moment in particular particularly if you've got use of a, a virtual whiteboard, is you can ask the prompt question, whatever, whatever theme it is, ask the prompt question, and then just allow three to five minutes of silent reflection, just to note things down on a whiteboard. Doesn't 
put anyone under pressure to speak out right away, can avoid those dominance hierarchies where some some dominant voice could steer the direction of conversation towards something or somewhere else. And yeah, it can just create a bit more psychological safety, I find. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. you recently, we were talking about your talks and putting yourself out there. Um, I believe you're doing a talk mm. soon on social leadership. Where mm. has this come from, this topic of social leadership? What's it all about? Okay. Right. I'm not going to give too much about the talk because you'll have to come and hear the talk, right? But, uh, yeah, so <laughs> Future Work Scotland, Future Work Scotland. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, 2020, we did a whole host of sessions. And uh, one of our guest speakers during during that particular um, period when we were doing sort of weekly sessions was a, a chap called Julian Stodd. And Julian's an amazing guy. He's a wonderful, he's a, he's a wonderful man. Um, and he does a lot of stuff in the sort of um, storytelling, community development, social leadership space. So that's his, his arena. He's written countless books on this stuff. And he came along and he was a guest uh, and he did a talk on that type of stuff. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, and I've done a few courses with him, you know, he's, he's, he's got his own learning organisation and I've done a sort of storytelling uh, course, um, 12 week programme. I did uh, I did um, uh, one of his cohorts and I've also done his quiet leadership um, um, workshop. And to be honest, I, I think there's such powerful um, tools in, 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 in the age and the era that we're in now. So we're in something called the social age. So, you know, we've been in the kind of previous sort of eras, we've been in the industrial age, you know, we've been in the digital age, we've been in, we're now we're in the social age. And social age isn't about social media, right? Because we've been in that space for a, a while. That was actually the digital age. It's much more about the way that we, just some of the things you said earlier, the way that we, we come together, the way that we collaborate, the, the, the importance of kind of, you know, the way we, Kind of tell stories and the way we kind of communicate and the, and the part that communities play in that. that that's really what it's about and it's about how organizations can actually really really achieve what they're doing and build consensus by embracing some of these ideas and principles that that's what it's about and i've actually been practicing um some of these ideas and some of the things that social leadership's about um in some of my initiatives in my in my day job so I work in the financial services sector. Um, I'm basically in sort of technology leadership, as I mentioned earlier, and I kind of run some sort of community development initiatives, sort of embedding and socialising sort of technology platforms across quite large populations um, and a, a kind of large sort of global enterprise, you know, talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And a lot of these things really resonate with me and I've been kind of, you know, applying those ideas and learning and the more I've, delved into it and the more I've studied and the more I've tried to apply it and the more I've learned the more I've really got into it and the talk is actually about that journey it's about my journey into social leadership and learning it understanding it applying it and what have I learned and uh, yeah I'm really passionate about it and it aligns with a lot of my other um voluntary you know commitments as you know with the, you know the festival in February and I work in future or Scotland you know I'm Kind of, I'm active in the you know few professional bodies. You know, I'm, I'm now the, the, the chair of the the Bisa Agile um, specialist group. 
um, and uh, yeah, a few other things I'm involved in. So it's the ideas, the, the, the techniques I think are widely applicable. Very interesting. And for anyone listening who wants to come along to your talk, when is it? The, the next one I'm doing is actually next Wednesday evening, and that's with the good folks at Lean Agile Edinburgh. So the Lean Agile Edinburgh meetup. Um, they are hosting to do the stock. I'm doing it. I'm doing it again. I've already done it once. I did a Lean Agile Global Conference in May, um, and it was well received. I got some, some really good feedback, and uh, yeah, I'll be invited to do it again at a few different meetups and I'm also doing the same talk at Lean Agile Exchange in October. Wonderful, so a few a few opportunities there. A few opportunities there for people to to get involved and, and take part. Uh, what where my mind, just for awareness, where my mind went to when you were talking about this, uh, was to one of my favorite writers, Stephen Fry, and he was talking about he, he's a big fan of Greek mythology. And he was talking about thousands of years ago, you know, before technology and things like that people came together and they would entertain each other by telling stories around the hearth. And the goddess of the hearth was Hestia, you know, the goddess of the hearth. So people gather around that campfire in the evening and they would tell stories of one another. And I think the reason I particularly resonate with, with you as a, as a person is we both have a similar ethos about things. We love being part of communities. We love sharing. We love telling stories. Mm. And you know, the, the sort of work that you're doing there, community building, being a social leader very much aligns to the sort of values that I, I look to exhibit. I love sharing stories with people. I love creating an environment where people can share their learnings, their failures, their successes, their wins, their losses, their battle wounds, their scars, all those things. And there's so much benefit in doing so, I have found. It's something I've ramped up myself in the past year in particular, and I get so much value from it. And I do it I don't do it for any any monetary purpose. I've had lots of people ask me, "Can you, you know, could you go exclusive with us and do this or that?" And I was like, "Well, it's not. That's not why I do it. I'm not motivated by that. I enjoy, I enjoy the stories that people tell me back back afterwards when they say, I tried this retrospective technique or tried this and it worked really well. Thank you for sharing. It's those sorts of things. It's the stories. It's the community that that motivates and inspires me. So I, I look forward to." listening in to one of your talks in the future and seeing if I can learn anything more about being a good social leader. I think you definitely Speaking. Um, display some of those behaviours. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, yeah, definitely. Thank and I you. talk I about that. that, you know, what makes a social leader? What makes a social leader? So yeah, it'd be great to see it one of them in the future. Good stuff. So remaining on the topic of leadership, um, with the exception of mm. social leadership, and I don't want you to go too much into the the, the detail there, um, what to you makes a, a good leader in this this era we're in today, this, this mixture of hybrid and remote? What are some of the qualities that you see good leadership or good leaders demonstrating with their people? Yeah, there's quite a lot of stuff there, isn't there? Um... Mm. Humility. So I, I think you know, and I and I've been. So again, you talk there about you know, you know, you know, um, scars and you know, battle scars and you know, war stories and all that. We've all got them, right? We've all got them. I, I, I for one, I've certainly got a whole stack of them, right? And I've made my fair share of mistakes, and but you learn from these, right? And I cast my mind back to when I when I was first in sort of my early management sort of leadership roles. 
that was kind of, you know, for me, maybe 15 years ago or so. Um, and then, you know, all the different things you learn as you progress and the more you do it and, you know, the more people you meet, the more you, you kind of raise your own self-awareness. So I also talk about that in the article you referred to earlier. I touch on it. I don't really get into it in a lot of detail, but I think the best leaders are those who, you know, demonstrate humility, you know, authenticity, you know, they, they you know, they, they, they behave, you know, they are themselves, you know, they're not trying to be something they're not. Um, and also they, they practice good listening, they actually listen, they're interested in hearing other people. And also they are self-aware, you know, they, wrote, they know their own flaws, you know, I think is important. And I think to me, I don't think it's everything, but to me, those are some of the ingredients that I think make some of the best leaders. Certainly in the social age there. You brought me right back to even without me, even without me being to so, uh, what do you what do you what, what didn't, are your didn't mean there? to try and sneak that, you back does there. That, does that resonate? It very much resonates. It's resonate? something I've learned over the years as well. So much. Uh, you know, for me, one of the first things that I one of the things I first I aim to do when I'm meeting a new group of people is be be humble about it. Admit that I don't have all the answers and that actually all I want to do is, they're the experts. I want, I want to create an environment where we can discover the answers together. We can experiment until we find what works. I'm a firm believer in bringing my whole self to the workplace. It's why I, I will quite happily wear random outfits to meetings. I've turned up to retrospectives, fully dressed as a pirate. I, I had my interview with Lisa Adkins with a bishop's hat on. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm basically a big kid at heart and I bring that to the workplace. I, I don't mind being that. Uh, and I enjoy that about my work. And everyone's always very... Uh, appreciative of it because it is me just being myself and it gives them license to be themselves as well so yeah vulnerability humility admitting you don't have all the answers creating an environment where you listen to people and actually take action based on what they say as well for me so important and it all links back to psychological safety for me so much mm. so i think yeah we we, we have similar page. ethos there on we are indeed we are indeed Right, conscious of time, Sat. Um, I would love to hear from you. If you could add one new theme to my retrospective backlog, what would it be? Oh, wow, okay, right, one new theme. Yeah, I've seen these, I've seen these. Uh, right, oh, wow, okay. Okay, this is hot, off, this is a bit off the cuff, because I, I forgot you were maybe gonna ask me for one of these, so. I don't know if you've ever done one of them before, but right. So, so I've actually had some work done in my garden today, believe it or not. Um, I've had, uh, had some gardeners in and they've been you know, tidying things up, you know, um, um, just make them look better. You're cutting back a lot of, sort of hedges, etc., cutting down trees. So I'm going to say to you, could you, could you create something with a gardening theme? And the reason I'm also saying that is because I, I think there's probably a lot of nice kind of you know, metaphors in there, you know, nice little things you could mm -hmm. perhaps tap into, you know. Yeah, yeah. There you Absolutely. go. That's hot off Completely. No, I, I like it. And it's um it's actually it's it's uh Pia Pia Torin a few weeks ago. Um she's mm. um very, very active in the, the agile people world. So she challenged the exact yeah. same thing, gardening, right? So the two of you now have got given me this 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 great one. And I'm, my mind goes to things like, you know, um how we 
how are we growing our people? You know, imagine a trellis or a, you know, those bamboo rods, how are we supporting growth? And there's lots of things you can do with, and, and in positive ways, metaphorically apply questions. Uh, I just need to think how I might visually represent it to make it a nice garden theme. But yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Thank you. Thank you for adding to my backlog. I will share it once it's once it's done. Uh, we are at the end of today's conversation. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with any of the listeners today, Seth? Any final thoughts? Um, I'm aware that sounds very Jerry Springer. Someone pointed that out to me I was, recently. I was going to say, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, it's quite a, an open statement as well, right? I could go anywhere here. Um, I'd say keep doing what you're doing, you know, keep keep learning, uh, keep it positive. You know, I think we've all been through quite a lot, you know, over the last um, 16 months or so. I think it's been challenging. I've suffered, you know, some personal stuff myself, sadly. But I think, you know, keep keep moving forward, you know. And I often like to say, um, only look back to see how far you've come. It's, there's actually, it's actually framed on my wall in front of me. You can't see it. Um, behind my behind my lap so uh yeah and i think you know everything will fall into place be patient you know i think i think the world's going at this insane pace all the time and i think you know we need to try really hard including myself applies to me too you know slow it down a bit you know slow it down you know take time to look around be present um because things are things seem to be a breakneck speed all the time so yeah there you go wonderful sentiment and one, yeah, one I can very much get on board with. I actually, I journal on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the questions I ask myself every day is how will you live for the present today? Because I think it's so easy for people to get either held up on the things that have affected them in the past, looking behind and allowing that to shape their future, or alternatively, always chasing that next goal, that next job, promotion, house, marriage, et cetera, et cetera, and get so focused on the future that they forget to enjoy the present and live in the now. So yeah, I think it's a great, a great final thought to, to leave on. So Sat, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join the show today. Um, it's been great to hear from you, your, your thoughts, your observations, your, your experiences. Uh, we are always looking for new guests to appear on the show. So if anyone would like to be involved, do reach out. And as always, folks, do not stop believing. Don't stop believing. Journey there. Love that. Bye-bye. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.